What a great story. Yeah, you know, I've heard rumors that they are a Christian is helping direct a movie of the life of David. The books have been written. I'm, I'm not sure that I should mention them. I hear they're quite gruesome. Uh, but I'm not sure that they can be more gruesome than the scriptures. Um, but anyway, maybe I'll have, read some previews if it comes out and see. I guess if it's in the Bible, do we call it good, clean killing? <laughs> now, of course, David was anointed as king in 1 Samuel 16. But it's, as we know, it's years later before he ascends the throne. Years later, okay? And even before he was anointed, the Lord had spoken indirectly about him to Samuel in 1 Samuel 13 as the man who was after God's own heart. Of course, he's the antithesis of Saul. Okay, Saul was self-centered. He was a man of self-interest, but David loved the Lord, and he was devoted to the Lord's interests from a very young age. So even before you know, Samuel anointed David, God's calling was upon his life, and God was equipping him for service, as he was as a young boy. Okay? And uh, before David did anything for the Lord, he was learning to love him, he was learning to obey him, he was in subjection to his father, serving his dad. It's good stuff. So much application there. Yeah. And it's here in 1 Samuel 17, there in the Valley of Elah, which is just a few miles southwest of Jerusalem, where the story of David really begins to roll. And it's there, as we saw, on the one side of the Valley of Elah was the armies of Israel. Saul is their king. On the other side of the valley, the Philistines, and a warring people from the coast. Their king is not mentioned, but their champion is. Okay, their champion is. His name is Goliath, and if we understand the ancient measurements correctly, Goliath was over nine feet tall. Okay? And he wasn't like a lot of NBA players where he was you know, tall and skinny. Uh, we're talking about a massive human being. Okay? A massive human being. And the text doesn't say that he was broad shoulders and all that, but by the equipment that he was carrying, okay, he, was, he was huge. He was huge. He was a big man. And there in 1 Samuel 17, as the text tells us, Goliath steps out in front of the Philistine ranks so that the Israelites could see his full stature. What's he trying to do there? Intimidate. That's right. And he wants them to hear his voice. And it's possible that his voice was like Mike Tyson, but when I hear it, I hear, you know, uh, something deep and loud and... Um, and he presents to the armies of Israel what he, in his mind, is a reasonable offer. Okay? He wants the Israelis to select a, their champion. And, uh, and he's, of course, their champion. And then we'll, we'll fight. And if the Israelis win, then the Philistines will serve them. But if Goliath wins, Israel will serve the Philistines. And uh, in his mind, this is somehow a fair fight. Uh, anyway. But... The rules change as soon as he begins to blaspheme the armies of Israel, the God of Israel, who is Yahweh. But currently, at the beginning, of course, there's no Israelite that is 
present and foolish enough to confront this behemoth. And so the taunting went on for days and days, and the text tells us that it instilled greater and greater fear in the people of God. The people were trembling. I'm sure that there were probably deserters. Things were looking bad. And then meanwhile, back at the ranch, this young man named David, probably between the ages of 14 and 16, I want you to think about all these things as we put this story together. He's young. He's keeping his father's sheep. And David's father, Jesse, he, he gives David victuals and he sends him to the battle to see how his brothers are doing, to supply some things for them. And then on David's arrival on the front line, he, he sees, he sees, and he overhears the giant's offer. But more than anything, David heard something. He heard blasphemy. He heard blasphemy, which stirred something in him that he couldn't ignore. And it says to those around him, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? In other words, who does this pagan think he is? Those are tough words for a guy that's standing behind and, uh, and of course the giant can't hear him. Okay. But David, as he's talking and he's getting more information, his zeal is picking up momentum. And it gets so, there's so much there, it gets him in trouble with his brother. And a younger brother can never please his older brother. And then the squabble between them eventually reaches the king, and so Saul calls for David. And so as soon as David has the king in audience, he says with great courage and faith, he says, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, mind you, Saul, remember, he's ahead above everyone. And David is a youth. He's ruddy and good-looking, but he's not a man of stature. Okay. So he's looking up to Saul, and he's really looking up to Saul. And he says, Saul, don't be afraid. He's saying, don't worry, I'll protect you and your army. <laughs> and so, of course, Saul entertains him a little bit, tries to dissuade him, saying, you cannot fight this Philistine. He says, you're a kid, and this man has been a man of war since he was a kid. But David, unmoved by Saul's unbelief, explained to Saul, in order to comfort Saul, that while watching his father's sheep, both lion and bears would randomly snatch one of the lambs from the flock. Now, pay close attention <laughs> to what he does. Okay. And he says at which time he would go after the predator, he would chase it down. And it says that he would strike it so that it would release the lamb from its jaws in order to give David a chance to stand between the lion and the lamb. He's a kid. He would strike the predator so that it would drop the lamb. And then David would step in between the predator and his dinner. Essentially giving the lion more than one option for dinner. Okay? Yeah. It's crazy. For just one of his father's lambs, David would risk his own life. If you want this lamb, you've got to kill me first. Okay? Who's that remind you of? It's a classic Sunday school answer. The Lord Jesus. Yep. And then, of course, the predator would turn on David, at which time David would turn on the predator. But not from a distance, as with, you know, a bow and an arrow. But... Something like this. 
Now this is from the Maasai people in Kenya, uh, and it's very similar, it's a club. Imagine you and a lion with this. That's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet, yeah. David had to get close enough to smell the lion's breath. And the text said he would snatch it by its beard. And what you would do is you'd yank the head aside and then you would club it to death. That's what David do, would do because I would never do that. Okay. <laughs> I have firearms for such a task. <laughs> but really, you, you did what, David? More than once? More than once? You imagine your 15-year-old telling you that story with blood and lion hair all over him. Yeah. You would say, don't you ever do that again. Next time you let the lion have the lamb, it's just a lamb, David. But not to David. Not to David. Yeah. You know, the look on Saul's face must have been precious. He, he had no idea that the boy who played the harp so sweetly and had put his soul to ease so frequently was a skilled killer. If you know anything from the life of David, he was a skilled killer. He was. And, and it probably sounds weird saying that and hearing it, but that's, that's what David was. He was a killer. David's encounter with lions and bears, it's no ordinary thing. No ordinary man has the skill or the heart to face a lion with a club for the sake of a lamb. The story is crazy. It, it was mortal combat. It was warcraft at its best. And so we should know better than to be deceived by appearances. Okay, this is a man of war. He's a lion killer. Goliath wasn't the only one who was a man of war since his youth. David's training ground was just different. Okay. Man of war from his youth. But I really doubt that Goliath had routinely killed lions with a club or had the courage to. I doubt it. Okay. David may have been a kid, but he was a scrappy one. He knew nothing of fear. You ever met someone like that? Man, I grew up with some, some kids in high school. No sense of fear at all. Little, scrappy, Man, David was all courage, he was all skill, he wasn't all muscle, but I would say that he was surgical in his execution of his craft. What do you think? Yeah, you got to hit that line right the first time. Yep. Goliath himself, he thought that he was courageous, but he was, he was deceived by his own size. He, he was overconfident because his stature intimidated people. But David didn't have that advantage. He had to be a man of skill. He had to be a man of precision and of courage. I don't think Goliath knew much of any of that. And we might even be able to say that David's signature is on the saying that says, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You just, you just gotta hit them right. Okay, yeah. And so we see that God was preparing David for his day with Goliath as a shepherd. Yeah. And so David told King Saul, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David is saying, just turn me loose. 
just let me go. I love that. Now, in these last words to Saul before David faces the giant, David reveals the true source of his courage and success. Yeah. David wasn't just all courage. He wasn't just all skill. He was a man of faith who had learned to trust the Lord as a shepherd boy, being alone in the hills of Judea, watching and protecting his father's sheep. He was in training. He understood well before Romans 8 that if God is for me, who can be against me? He learned that killing lions and bears. Okay, he learned that. But of course, in this story, Saul tries to dress David in his own armor, which is obviously way too big for David. And so David takes it off. He grabs his shepherd's staff, and then he goes to the nearest stream, and he picks out five smooth stones, places them in his shepherd's bag, and of course, in David's hand was his sling. But why a sling? Why a sling? Well, I suppose that David would have just grabbed Goliath by his beard and clubbed him to death, but he probably couldn't reach the man's beard, okay? Probably couldn't. Besides, David was a good sport. He wanted it to be a fair fight for Goliath. He did, yeah. And so he descended into the valley of Elah toward the Philistine army to face this giant. What an amazing scene that must have been. And how did that make everybody behind him feel? The boy, the shepherd, with a sling hanging from one hand. It's amazing. It would make a great movie if they could actually keep to the scriptures. And then, of course, when the giant saw David, he began to do what he's always done. He mocked and criticized in order to intimidate, saying that he would kill David and feed his body to the the birds and the beasts of the air. You know, talking trash is an ancient art form. Okay. (laughs) But David, he's totally unmoved in his faith and his determination. And he looks up at the giant. He says, you know, you've come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. And he could have kept going with your, your girth and your height and your strength. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied this day. I'm sorry, whom you've defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'll strike you and take your head from you. And this day I'll give the carcasses, he's not just saying his carcass, but the carcasses of all the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth so that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So Goliath spoke arrogantly, but David spoke out of his faith. And then all of David's talk becomes pure action. Okay? The very moment the giant initiated combat, David didn't stand his ground and wait for the giant. This was no defensive. Okay? David, the text says, hurried, and he rushed the giant. He blitzed the giant. Okay? And while sprinting to meet his foe, he fastened a stone in his sling and he slung it at the giant's head. It says it sunk into his skull. And at that moment, the massive warrior, he falls face down to the ground. And without breaking his stride, David ran to where the giant landed. Because when you're big like that, you actually land, you don't fall. (laughs) Stood over him, pulled out the giant's sword and then cut his head off. And no doubt, David grabbed the head 
and he lifted it up for everyone to see because the battle belongs to the Lord. Yeah, what a gruesome scene that would have been. Gee whiz. And then, of course, when the Philistines, they see their champion, he's dead, and they fled. And just as David predicted, the armies of Israel, they slaughtered the Philistines and scattered their bodies from Sharaim to Gath and Ekron, that is, from the battlefield to their hometown. They chased them home and killed them all the way. Yeah. And they were made fodder for the birds and the beasts. The battle belongs to the Lord, which only faith understands. Now, you've probably all heard that story many times, and there are tons of ways uh, that you can apply it. There's so many good things uh, in there. It's all good stuff. But I want to point out what happened before this story. Now, many commentators say that this whole story is purely miraculous. But I think that if that's true, that it negates reality. I don't think the story has pure miracles in it, by the way. I don't think so. As a young man, you know, and, and if you were a young man, you know that if you were in David's shoes, you would have slung stones all day long as a shepherd boy until you could put food on the table with it. Yep, it's true. The, 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 the sling and stone of the Middle East was a weapon of war. It wasn't a child's toy. Okay? The tribe of Benjamin had 700 choice men of war, all left-handed. They, they always like to point that out. We said last week. These men could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss, Judges 20, verse 16. The Holy Spirit went out of his way to mention that, to say that their accuracy was impressive, to say that the business end of their sling was lethal. Okay? Now, the stones found in antiquity ranged from two inches in diameter to the size of a tennis ball. Now, I'm not sure what they weighed. I've, I haven't found any uh, data on like, the, the composition of the stones. They're probably varied anyway. But I have seen these particular slings used with a rock the size of a golf ball. How many of you guys have actually seen somebody use them? Some of them are like this long, the two bands, when they're held together at the end, the pouch over here, they're like this long. They're very different than you know, the slingshots we use. And as I was watching the demonstration, the, the rock went out of sight on the ascent. That would require that stone to be going hundreds of feet per second. It's, it's crazy. And if you hit somebody with that, it would certainly crush their skull. Yeah. Be, be lethal. How many of you guys grew up with the elastic, the surgical elastic things? Yeah. I had one on me so frequently that my art teacher drew a picture of me one of the, in my back pocket. <laughs> yeah. I need to find that sketch someplace. But when I was young, up until probably eighth grade, I always had a slingshot on me pocket knife and a slingshot. And um, yeah, and with, a, with an average sized marble, you can shoot the marble about 300 feet per second, and you can kill small game with them, which got me in a lot of trouble as a kid. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, uh, David's sling was exponentially more powerful than those surgical rubber band ones. And, um, and, and you know, I know everyone is quick to point out that Goliath wasn't killed by the stone that he was still alive and David had to remove his head to kill him. Okay, I, I've read the story, I know what it says, but if the stone sank into his skull, 
Death was probably imminent, so David put him out of his misery by taking his head. Okay. So that day on the battlefield, it was about placement and power, all of which David could deliver, by the way. Okay. Yeah. And whatever margin of human error existed, the Lord decreased it to nothing. I'll, I'll grant that much in the miracle. But I do know that David knew where to put that stone, and he knew how to do it. He could do it. Okay. He played with that thing all the time. Okay. He wasn't just good with a club. He was good with a slingshot. Okay. He was good with it. And I, I point all that out to say that David was prepared before he ever got to the battlefield, both in his skills and his dependence on the Lord. He was. He was in training for a long time. God trained David for this moment, both as a shepherd and then in cultivating the boy's faith. Now, as I said, I believe there's less miracle than people insist. The Lord was obviously with David, and the battle certainly belonged to the Lord, but I'm certain that no bona fide, genuine miracle, as we usually think of them, I don't think it was, I don't think there was. I just don't, I don't think, it's, I don't see it there. It's not like with Samson, when Samson would do great feats of strength, it says, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he started thrashing people. We don't see that language. We just see David going out, trusting the Lord, faith and confidence, and execute something that he's been doing for a long time. Okay? That's what I think. And to me, that's encouraging. Because if a great miracle is required to do good things for the Lord, I don't know, I'd, I don't think that I see a lot of miracles a lot of the time. How about you? I know everybody in America says it was a miracle, but when we define miracles from the scriptures, that's not what we're seeing all the time. They happen, but not the same. And I'm just not confident that they happened here. Yeah. I think that God can take giants without miracles, using us, having prepared us. And, and I'm always up for a good miracle. This is not the normal way that God works through his people. How many of you guys have come to learn that? And how many guys would like to be able to take giants without needing a miracle every time? Okay. Just that you're in the school of being equipped in your life, your experience. And so that when things happen, you're ready. You're ready. Yeah. I think God typically works through his people by preparing them through life, their experiences, the study, the application of his word. So, so my point is, I don't think it takes miracles to take giants. It requires faith and preparation, experience and diligence. Now, what I would like to get at is that like David, every believer in this room has been called of God. Every single believer. But are you ready? Are you ready? Are you equipped for the call? God has called everyone, but he certainly or currently refuses to use some of them because they're not ready. They're just, you're just not ready. And I don't know why you're not ready. It could be a host of things. Um, some of you are lazy. Uh, I've been there before. Some of you lack diligence. Some of you lack direction. Some of you lack the assertiveness to say something. But some of you are not ready. Some of you are not ready. You're called, but you're not ready. And I don't believe that God is honored when we sit on our hands professing faith, expecting the Lord to pick up the tab. Amen. I don't believe that. Okay? Ephesians 2 says that God has called us to good works. He's created us for good works. We're told to um, be maintaining good works in Titus chapter 3. 
Our lives are to be a life of action. Okay? Our lives are to be a life of ministry. But you've got to be prepared. You've got to have some skills. Okay? David was obviously a diligent shepherd boy. I don't think he just went out and killed lions for fun, but he was diligent to protect his father's sheep. He did whatever it took. That was their livelihood. Okay? He was a master at tending, protecting, okay? all of which God was using as a training ground for his true calling. Just like he got in between the lion and the lamb, he got in between Israel and the Philistines, didn't he? That's what he did. He just repeated what he'd always been doing. Took him down. So in his preparations, when David arrived on the battlefield, he heard the blasphemy of the giant. For David, it was just go time. This should be done. It has to be done. Nobody else is doing it, so guess what? I'll do it. I'll do it. You see, I think that's, that's it. Being prepared, spirit, mind, and body. Some examples. You know, for me as a pastor... Uh, and I'm confident that you have similar expectations as God does. You expect me, as God does, to study my brains out so that I can accurately teach and apply God's word. Amen? Yeah, you expect that from me. Yeah, God expects that from me. Uh, and there's many passages to, <laughs> to turn to that. Yeah. Any, you know, any pastor that wings it or copies the sermons from the internet should either repent or step away from the pastorate. Yeah, he should, because he's not, he's not doing as the scripture said. He's called to study to show himself approved unto God, not to let somebody else study for him and then repeat their, their worthiness, if you will. 2 Timothy 2 and, and uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of the strongest commissions in the Bible is to pastors, to teach, to apply, to teach. And you know, all of us, he expects us to study and know the gospel, Every single believer should know the gospel and he should be, he should be, she should be, whoever, competent. They should be good at sharing it. Lest, as Jesus said, your audience doesn't understand it and they become an easy prey to the enemy. Yeah. Parable of the sower. Jesus says, why, did they, why were they taken out so easily by the enemy? They didn't understand the gospel. But those that bore fruit, they understood. That puts pressure on us, doesn't it? When we preach the gospel, it should be comprehensible. It should be understandable. It should be winsome. Yeah. We need to know. Every husband and every wife should know what the scriptures say about their marital roles and responsibilities, and they should be striving in those areas with increasing excellence. You should be equipping yourself all the time. If you want God to bless your marriage, you know, God won't heal your marriage. He's not going to work in your marriage if you sit on your hands. Scriptures say they contain everything pertaining to life and godliness so that you can enjoy being heirs together the grace of life. You have to equip yourself. Okay. You can't sit on your hands. You can't expect God to pick up the tab. You're going to have to work for that puppy. Amen? Yeah, you have to work for it. Shandy definitely has to work for it. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. If you want results, you've got to work for it. Yeah. How about child-rearing? I've seen your kids. You could use some help. <laughs> I could use some help. And you can go to a lot of things in the world for help, or you can go to the divine word, and you can be equipped. 
and then you can expect results. You, know. you can instill the word in them. You can apply the scriptures in your life and in the life of your kids. I would say don't expect results until you do. You should equip yourself. You should apply them. And do I think that it requires a miracle to have a good marriage? No, I think it requires obedience <laughs> to, and being equipped from the word. Same with your kids. Same with ministry. I think there are miracles that occur, but I think they happen less than we think. And I'm going to have to defend myself later for that statement. I'm ready for you. Right here. (laughs) What a cool club, man. I assure you, it has no application yet. It's no bloodstains on it. And, you know, we should do all of these things knowing that none of them negate our responsibility to trust the Lord and depending on his grace and his wisdom. Okay, David was prepared. David was highly skilled. But even in all of his skill, all of his preparation, what did he say? The Lord who delivered me out of the, from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me. There's a dependence there. There's faith. It must be, faith must be mingled with our knowledge and the equipping that we've received. And when the two are mingled together, that's when giants fall. Okay? That's when there's success in marriage. That's when there's success in ministry. Okay? The two have to be mingled. You know, you remember the author of Hebrews already said, he says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He says it's by reason of use. It's by reason of exercise. It's application. It's work. It's work, isn't it? It's diligence. David was prepared for the battle because his senses were exercised in the art of slinging a stone and putting himself in harm's way and his heart was ready by reason of knowing, trusting, and a lifestyle of obeying the Lord. It was all of those things combined together. He was ready because God prepared him back at the ranch. Yeah. And the chronology, I think, is important. God first called David, right? He first called David, then he equipped David, and then he deployed David into combat. He called him, he equipped him, he deployed him. My pastor used to say, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. I believe it's true. Okay. Yeah. Everyone in this room has been called into the service of God in some context. And whatever context that may be, you ought to be being equipped for it so that you can be finely tuned for the execution of your craft. By craft, I mean ministry. Knowing that God will not honor our laziness regardless of how much faith we have. In fact, I don't think you can be lazy and have tons of faith. I think that faith moves you, motivates you. And whatever we do, we're called to do it with all our might. You remember Paul told the Romans, the Roman Christians, they should not be lagging in their diligence, but they should be fervent in spirit as they serve the Lord. Not lagging, but diligent, fervent. Romans 12, 11, Paul told the Colossians that whatever they, were, whatever they did, they should do it heartily. Heartily. Does that define the way that you're applying yourself to what God has called you to? Heartily. And there's something wonderful about mastering something, isn't there? And then persevering in it. 
and then training others in it. How many of you guys like doing that? Having your own success and then building it in other people. I love it. I, I've been so impressed over the last few years watching a few of the men in the church who've taken this to heart and diligently prepared themselves for ministry. And their lives today are marked by action. Marked by action. So many people have benefited, beginning with their families. Now, I'd say that I've been watching the women as well, but it sounds a little creepy, okay? (laughs) It's been great watching a host of people serving and applying what God is doing in their lives. And I I tell you, I don't ever want to be content until I see everybody serving and being equipped, serving and being equipped. It's fun watching. I want to see more of it. So I guess I want to end with this. If you want equipped for a particular ministry or if you believe that God is calling you to a particular service, don't hide it. Let's talk. Let's get it moving. Okay? If I can't equip you, I'll get you to someone that can. I will. I will. If you'll give yourself to the equipping of ministry, God will use you for his glory. And just as a reminder... Not all ministry happens behind this piece of wood, okay? There are so many things to do. But if you believe that God is calling you to something specific, let's talk. Don't sit on your hands. Don't be reluctant. Don't be afraid. If God equips you, he'll prepare you for what it is, okay? We've talked a lot about a lot of different people, a lot of different personalities, and God has done crazy things with them, okay? God even uses Gabe Anzalini, and that's, that's a miracle. So, so please come talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. Be encouraged by someone. Let's pray for you. Let's get rolling. Okay. Go ahead and stand up and let's pray. Well, Lord, as your word says that you ascended on high and you gave gifts to men. You gave some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Lord, I want to equip people, but I want people to want to be equipped. And Lord, I'm super blessed by so many people applying themselves in so many ways here in this fellowship. It is so sweet. But I know you're not satisfied, and I don't want to be satisfied until we see all of God's people all of your people, applying themselves in ministry in some way at some degree. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to people's hearts and, Lord, that they would trust you, they'd seek you, they'd be equipped and just to see if you won't knock down some giants, Lord. So just encourage their hearts, I pray. And, Lord, I pray that you would continue to just abide with my church family, that you would lavish your grace upon them encourage them, Lord. So thank you for them. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.